a listener production. Hi, 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 hi. Hello. Yes, hi. Oh, I see you over there. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Stop, stop, stop. Thank you guys so much. Welcome to come out wherever you are. This is a safe space for curious people to learn more about the coming out experience. So, congratulations. You are now a part of this beautiful community. And because this is a podcast about the coming out experience, it is only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps, and I am gay. I first came out in early 2000 when I was 12 years old, and I last came out... It's actually been two or three days. I was out with friends this past weekend, and I was in a conversation with a a complete stranger. We were slightly intoxicated, but halfway through the conversation, because we were talking about my children for a hot minute, she said your wife. And I had to interrupt her. I was shocked. And then she knew. She apologized and we kept the conversation going. Today, we are welcoming a brand new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family, AJ. AJ, can you please introduce yourself and tell us when you first came out and when you last came out? Hi, everyone. I'm AJ Clementine. I identify as a trans woman. I go by she, her pronouns. And the first time I came out was probably when I was 15 and my best friend was actually questioning it before I even understood what I was. And she kind of told me that I was trans and I was kind of like, actually, you're right. Um, And then the last time I came out has probably just been online because of lockdown. And it's just been just telling someone because sometimes people just don't know. AJ Clementine is a model, an LGBTQIA advocate, and an absolute superstar on TikTok. AJ literally grew up on the internet. She started by documenting her transition journey on YouTube, where she would just post honest videos about things like getting surgery, dealing with dysphoria, and reacting to transphobic comments. These days, AJ has a casual, small, subtle 1.4 million followers on TikTok and over 300,000 followers on Instagram. So... Yeah, she's a really big deal. She also is a model and has done campaigns with Bonds, David Jones, and Camilla. Oh, and if that's not enough, she has now written a book about her life story. It's called Girl Transcending, Becoming the Woman I Was Born to Be. You can buy it now where all good books are sold. All right, let's get back to AJ. What I want to do is take a massive step back to the very beginning of your journey earlier in life. And I'm wondering, in retrospect, when did you first realize this is the wrong body? So I probably realized as the first like moment I could like speak like very young, I just didn't really know how to put it into words. And I would communicate it to my mom a lot. They should be a part of that whole journey of trying to understand how I felt, but we just didn't know how to put it into action. It usually just would be around like just dressing up and by my mom like painting my nails and like little things like that. Yeah, I guess that's literally how I first kind of discovered that I'm not a boy and I never felt like a boy and I should have been a girl from get go but I didn't really know 
what that was until I was like a teen and I discovered what trans meant. So you say your mom would paint your nails. Uh, For many of us who grew up in the 60s, 70s, 80s, even in the 90s, there was still very much a negative connotation around any boy expressing themselves in a feminine manner. Was that a part of your upbringing? Was people in your family being challenged by that? Or was your mom just a kind of big advocate for self-expression? My mom literally just only cared about making me happy and just whatever I wanted to do, I would do it. And I didn't really realize that it was like not normal to do that until leaving the house and seeing people question it. And Mm. I honestly didn't really mind too much when kids would question it because I would kind of be like, yeah, like you can do it. Like it's, there's nothing wrong with it. And they would kind of drop it. They, no one was really cruel to me in, at my primary school. The only time it started to get a bit scary for me as a child was when adults would question it because then it put, it put it out into like the universe that it was actually officially not something I should be doing. So when they would question it. I questioned it and I would tell my mom being like, is this something that I shouldn't be doing? And she would just literally tell me that if it makes you happy, then who cares what other people think? And mm-hmm. coming from her, it just I understood it so much more better just because the way that people would treat her, I understood it as well because of like English not being her first language and coming from the Philippines, people would speak to her in like different kind of ways when we're out in public. And I kind of just viewed it as, right, like people are going to be mean no matter what you do. And I kind of just kept that in like my back pocket and just kept doing what I wanted to do as a kid until I got to my adolescence and I just realized that I couldn't like face it anymore. Wow. So were you going to school at a young age wearing dresses and your nails painted? Was that a part of your self-expression at a young age? Yeah, I would mostly like dress up at home and whenever there was an opportunity to like dress more feminine at school than I would. But once again, like the teachers would question it, they would tell my mom and they would, at the time, it just wasn't, it was just so different and no one understood it. Um, Even like kids and their parents as well would always question it too. So I kind of just felt like it's, it was something I shouldn't be doing. And I just kind of pushed it to the back of my mind and just told my mom, it's like, it's okay. I just, I won't bother with the questions today. And I'll just wear, you know, like normal clothes. Wow. And something you said earlier has really stuck with me. It's not a story that I can relate to, but it is a story that I continue to hear more and more. And I'm hopeful will be the story my children tell, which is children are not the problem. Adults are. Oh, it hurts, doesn't it? It really sinks in that the people who should have the most maturity, the most experience, uh, the most intense visceral knowledge of what it is like, how difficult it is to be a child already. And then on top of that, they're the ones throwing all the negativity on you. Throughout your entire journey, pre and then post-transition, has that been a, a similar narrative in your life that a lot of young people are are at least more willing to hear your truth than adults? Yeah, definitely. I feel like I've been able to connect and understand like younger people better in the sense of there's no prejudice sometimes. There's nothing really affected if they, they form their own views, even if, you know, they're 
parents or something, you're telling them different. And then obviously there will be some people that slip through the cracks and they do kind of express the hatred that was passed on to them. But yeah, I felt like sometimes I, it's, it's helped me. It's, it's literally saved me sometimes to have someone who could also see beyond the, the transphobia that I've like installed inside of me as well. Prior to being 15, which is when you kind of said, well, I found out what this word was and that it might be mine. What did you think was going on? Did you put a label on yourself? Did you say, I am just really effeminate? I think I'm gay. What was going on in your mind prior to being 15? Uh, I honestly didn't like label myself and I didn't really understand labels as well up, up until leading to that moment. I didn't really educate myself. I didn't understand the LGBTQI plus community. And when I did try and understand it, there was lots of negative things around the times. And I just blocked it out of my mind. I was like, no, I don't want to be a part of this. It's too scary. And to me, leading up to being like 10 years old, I honestly thought that I was just going to develop like all my friends, um, all the girls I surrounded myself with. I was naive and I literally thought I was going to go through all the changes they would. My hair would just magically like grow one day and I would start just developing like them, but that didn't happen. And it was a shock to my system that I started going through male puberty and I just didn't know like what to do with that. It just, it was just so confusing and I didn't know what was truly out there or if there Mm. was people that experienced the same thing I did. Wow. So the first time you hear the word trans, what's the context? Who are you with and how did that experience go for you? So the first time I saw the word trans was online, but I did block it out and was just kind of like, mm, no, that's just what I don't know what that is. I don't understand it. And then I was struggling a lot when I was at the beginning of being 14 to 15 around that stage. And my English teacher showed me a news article of Kim Petras and how she went through gender reassignment surgery at 16 in Germany. And I just was so shocked. I just, I couldn't believe that that was a thing. I was like, what? Like you can change your body like that? Like, that's just unreal. And I went home, I searched up Competris, saw that she transitioned and that was a thing. And I just couldn't believe it. It was like the first time I saw something positive linked to being trans. It wasn't the joke. It wasn't the villain in some movie. Like some cis straight man wasn't vomiting on the, like the thought of a trans woman. So then I just thought that maybe this could be the answer. (laughs) Like maybe this is me. I can't imagine what it's like to like in the blink of a moment feel like you understand yourself in an entirely, you know, new and exciting way. But unlike finding out that you're gay and then just being able to be that, there's a lot of hurdles that you have to kind of jump over. And one thing I want to hold space for, because a lot of people listening might not have any idea about the transition process, is there's basically two distinctly different paths. One, if you don't go through puberty, what that would look like. And then another, if you have. So talk to us a little bit about if you've already started to go through male puberty, you found this word and you think to yourself, wow, this 
this is possible and this isn't bad. Like, look at this incredibly successful person living an amazing life. Did you think I want that and what is it going to take? I'm really interested in once you find out that moment, what are the hurdles you're going to have to leap over to get to where you are today? Yeah, so around that time, I was already going... I was kind of a late bloomer with puberty. So I started puberty around that time and it was just freaking me out. And I was feeling all these emotions I didn't want to feel with, with coming with, with your body, with my body releasing testosterone and I hated mm. it. I didn't want it. So I was just searching what Kim Petras did and if that was a possibility here in Australia. And in order to get hormones at the time, if you're under 18, you had to go to family court. So I just was scared with that knowledge and I didn't know how to bring that up with my parents, even though I know they would have been accepting and they would have educated themselves. It was just so confusing and it's, it felt scary. It felt something that was something you shouldn't be doing unless you're 100% sure. And I had no one to tell me that it's okay up until mm. my friend figuring it out and saying that I think you might be trans and do you want to start transitioning? Because I'm here to support you. And um, it was it was so comforting to have that support, but I kind of made the decision that I would wait it out until I was 18, which if I could go back, I would shake myself and tell me, don't, just, just do it. Like, you know, it's just, you're going to regret it if you don't. But yeah, it wasn't, I didn't have enough like strength or courage to, in order to speak up about it because I was scared about what Mm. the world would view me as. And yeah, and Germany and Kim Petras just seemed like a whole nother world. (laughs) It didn't seem possible. So, yeah. I think it's really hard for most people to understand. It's one thing to be yourself. It's another thing at at such a young age to see what Kim went through and many of our siblings within the LGBTQI plus community and understand that it's not as simple as the flick of a switch. (laughs) It costs money. You need to go to court, psychologists, uh, potentially dangerous medical procedures. It's just not as simple. I know a lot of times you'll see online people like, just be yourself. It's that simple. You know, just speak your truth. (laughs) Actually, it's a little bit harder than that. So at 15 years old, you start to kind of find out all this information. You decide that you're going to wait it out. What happens in the period of time between 15 and, and 18 years old? Do you suppress a lot of your feelings? Um, I didn't suppress a lot of my feelings. I kind of made a pact with myself and had that comfort in knowing that that's what I was going to do. But from that point onwards, because another reason is that I didn't feel like I would ever be passable as a woman in that point in time because I was just so wrapped up in just being seen as a boy at that time, I didn't see the outcome or what could ever like be a possibility. So instead I started to just work on myself. I started to introduce makeup into my routine. I changed my wardrobe to dressing more feminine and looking in the women's section. And I also started to like eat healthy and take care of my body because I was just not really caring at the time. I'd kind of just use comfort food and all that kind of stuff like that just to kind of bottle up everything that I was feeling. And then from there, I just kind of started to grow out my hair and do little things without the hormones, like socially transition. 
and people started to question and that part I hated. I didn't like the questions. I didn't like like, you're a boy or a girl and all that kind of stuff. I just wanted to be seen as a girl, but I just knew that the fact that people were asking was already an accomplishment for me. Mm. For many young people, who know for a fact that they're in the wrong body. You actually have to go through so many phases of coming out, don't you? Like, not just to yourself, but to others. And then potentially, again, when you really feel like yourself, which seems like a complicated roadmap, but you're explaining it beautifully, which is, sure, other people are using the right pronouns or I'm exploring it, but I hadn't loved myself yet. I couldn't look in the mirror and go, that is AJ. That's the woman I've always known. So... When in your life did you feel that you could look in the mirror and go, that is who I am? When did that happen? I'd say probably like a year into my transition on HRT, hormone replacement therapy, I just felt like once the hormones were functioning in my body and at that point, I just felt different like the going for that second puberty and just realizing that's what I needed from the get-go and just going through the male puberty really just did a number on my mental health and everything it just felt everything fell into place and I just knew that I was just so surprised by what I went through to get to there and if only I could have gone there sooner but yeah, it was so, it was just an experience that it's so hard to put into words to explain to someone what it feels like to have that euphoric gender moment. But yeah, I just knew that that point and then moving forward and just knowing that I was on the right direction just felt refreshing. And how old were you, 18? I was 19, cause I, yeah, for a year on hormones. Wow. So what was the next day, step or stage after that? After you started to go on hormones, what what options are available? Um, I just knew like the first thing that I needed to do was have gender confirmation surgery. And yeah, I just went straight into that, trying to figure out what were the options. And I told my parents that was the first kind of time I officially included them in my transition because I mm. never felt like I could really... I just never really wanted to tell them yet until I was fully aware and accepting my full identity first. So I told them and they were so across it and they just knew that I was going to tell them one day that I was wanting to do that. So we just discussed all the different options and where to go. And I just knew that I wanted to get it done in Melbourne and just be here and have like my friends and stuff like that. So, yeah, that was definitely the first thing that I needed to have done in my transition. For many young queer people across the LGBTQI plus experience, uh, the response from their family is really a division of their life. It's like before and after that moment. It's really the coming out experience is really kind of all hinges on how is how are my mom and dad going to react to this? Were you afraid? Was there any fear? I mean, I'm hearing a different story than I've heard often, which is, it seems like there's beautiful support, especially from your mother from a young age of letting you express yourself. But obviously there's something kind of holding you back until you knew for sure. And so that moment you tell them and you're saying they respond, well, paint a picture for me for what, how important that is, how important it is 
to know that your parents are accepting of what you're about to do? Yeah, I feel like in that moment, like I addressed it, like I didn't really give them an option. I'm just like, this is what's happening. I would love your support, but I'm going to do it either way. And Mm. they were just shocked that I was just, you know, didn't really keep them in the loop to begin with. Like I felt like I had to do it all alone, which they said I didn't have to, but at the time it was just, I was ticking off all the boxes and I just wanted to get it over and done with. And yeah, just having them not add another layer to it just was just the icing on the cake because I don't know how I would have been if they said no, or if they said, uh, yeah, like if you get that done, then we're out. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, that's what I was trying to kind of plant the seed for that potential, which is, you know, it's hard for people to understand if you come out to a stranger or an Uber rider driver and they don't like you, it's like, whatever, just like move on. At least you get to go home to your family or your boyfriend or your husband. But if your family closed the door and, you know, that is why that is the narrative for most members of our community is that that door gets closed and then they're forced to kind of find their own new family. And so I think that's quite powerful that you at least had them for that next part of your journey. I want to go back to something because I don't know that everyone understands it and we've never spoken about it before on the show. The word presenting. So you said you were a little bit concerned about presenting as a woman. Um, for people who don't understand, what does that word mean to, to someone who is trans? And how does that affect the rest of your experience, specifically when it comes to coming out? And what I mean by that is going out into the world and needing to come out or not come out based off of how you look? I feel like it's just very vital in the way of how a trans person feels in terms of safety, because you just never know when it comes to what you're going to expect. And for me, when it came to presenting myself as a girl, as female, I always had to put in my back of my mind, it feels like, is it enough though? Like Mm. I always had to feel like I had to go above and beyond, especially at the beginning of my transition, to just be as cis as possible. Because if not, then you just don't know what reaction you're going to get. And it's just that's just the the world that we live in. Because either way, the reaction could just be questions or it could be, you know, violence, which, you know, it's like you don't need to have an actual situation happen to know that that's, what does happen in the world. And I guess it's kind of like the the thing that trans people put in the back of their mind is that are they being seen more as a man today or are they being seen more as a woman today? Because even if you don't feel like either, the world is going to put you into a box. It's about navigating which one you're going to play the role as, so to speak. Sure. It's interesting because as an advocate, which is a huge part of what you do um, and will continue to be a part of what you do when your book is out into the world and people are picking it up and reading it, is a big part of an advocate's job is to like bust down barriers and change narratives. But if you're presenting as a full woman and people don't question it, is that problematic for you? Are there situations where people don't ask, don't know, call you she, move on with their day and a part of you is like, I need to address this elephant in my in the room or 
is a kind of part of the trans experience for you, just being the woman that you know that you are. And if people don't ask questions, fantastic. I know that's a weird, a tricky question, but it's something I'm sure a lot of people are thinking. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good question. I feel like personally for myself that like I'm, I know who I am and I don't need people to like validate that or try and understand who I am because not everyone is going to, but I guess it's one of those things to pick and choose your own kind of situations in which you know that if it's, if you're comfortable enough to tell someone that you're trans or to like disclose that or not, like you don't need to. Being trans is just kind of an added thing to who I am. It's not, it's not my entire identity. It's not everything about me. And sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's okay to just, you know, it doesn't need to come up in conversation. I guess it's one of those things that it's, it's only if it's the trans person's choice. You know, like if they decide to go about their transition in any kind of way that they want to, whether that be to be stealth and to, you know, not be seen as trans, that's entirely up to them. Or if it's Mm. to be out and proud and to want to discuss and talk about it with other people, then that's entirely up to them. But, you know, it's not something that for me, being an advocate and talking about it, I like don't really really care about it day to day. I care about it in the sense of the narrative and the stories that I create in terms of what I've been through and how I've navigated my life. When it comes to how I act day to day, I don't feel the need to disclose that. When you were young and you were fantasizing about your future, the life that you were living, did you ever think that you'd be on billboards model it like you're you're a model and in a really big and powerful way in this country and I'm wondering how did you even get into that um I was so obsessed with watching runways and just it was it felt like another world like literally looking at models and admiring just beauty in general I just knew that I've got to find a way to figure out how to diversify it with not only being trans, but also being mixed as well and not seeing anyone in the media that looks like me or in TV shows or movies. And for me, I've always been passionate about acting and I've done like acting classes. I've always just been, you know, just wanting to immerse myself in that kind of world. So I just use the skills that I took from all those years to be like, if I could be this new version of myself, different person in front of the lens and kind of fake the confidence that um, I have because day to day, I'm just like, I can't like, I can't do that in the ways I like speak to people or, order my food or any of that kind of stuff. Like the face that you see in a campaign is not the same person that I am day to day. But from the moment that I thought that maybe I could, I just went and spoke to a bunch of different like student photographers and was just like, you know, just upfront with them. I was just like, hey, like, can we work together? Like do time for print. I'm not a model, 
but I'm aspiring to be one and I don't know what can happen, but if you think you can shoot me, then let's do it. And I posted that on a Facebook page and I got a decent amount of photographers wanting to shoot me. So I just replied to a bunch of them and just went and did a bunch of different shoots, different vibes, different aesthetics. And from there, I put that whole confidence thing into action, a whole different person. I played a whole different role in front of the camera, in front of the lens. And it felt so thrilling. It felt like something that I could do. I got signed to like my first like modeling agency from a male model who I was kind of like, didn't really date, but I was kind of speaking to. And he recommended me to the agency and then I had a meeting, I was signed to them. And that's where I kind of started my portfolio modeling with them. And then from there, Precision Management found me and was like, hey, we can amplify what's happening. And if you're interested in it, we need you. And I was kind of like, okay, like, let's do it. Like, let's see what's going to happen. And the thing that I loved the most was the fact of like, they like spoke to me and my true story, the, and understanding like what I wanted to really achieve in terms of diversifying the media here in Australia and just also diversifying it worldwide as well, just to know that like, I want a 10 year old me to see that and be like, you know, I'm half Asian too. And I don't have someone who literally looks or speaks or is me and same Mm. goes for someone who is trans or just in the community in general. And I honestly didn't really think that Australia was like ready for that or to really get behind it. But in the recent years, like it's been surprising to see how many, you know, big brands want to be like, yeah, like, you know, we want you and we don't just like want you for your face. We want you for your story and to share that. And I think that's really, it's really moving. It's really like powerful to see that we're moving in that direction because like I said, if only a younger me had that, it would have changed my world. Like just holding onto that little newspaper of Kim Petrus was this, literally the scraps on my identity because, you know, like she was just, she was a girl in Germany and it wasn't the same experience as me though. Wow. Can you um, just even wrap your head around this truth that you've just spoken, which is the one or two things, your race and your gender and your sexuality, the one element of your life, all those little details that are holding you back that are making you feel weird and strange and different, that are causing you anxiety and stress, that are making it impossible for you to come out when you wanted to, that all of those things would become the thing that people hero you for and praise you for and lift you up and build a career off of, that on its own, you need young people to hear. Because if I, when I was little, if I had heard you just say that into my earlobes, I would have been like, you mean, you mean me? You don't have to be trans to hear that and go, One day, someone could want me for a modeling job because I'm gay, not in spite of it. Mind blown. And that's something I've actually, like, 
I've sat down and I've told my mum as well, like with her upbringing and what she's known with the world, like she's so proud of like everything that's come and all the success I've gained. But, you know, just telling her that the reason why like my features are desirable is because of her, it's because of her being Filipino. And to her, she still doesn't get that because in, you know, Filipino culture, it's very like, you need to be as white and Western Mm. features as possible. And, you know, to blend in as much as possible. Like I literally grew up with my mom trying to use like bleaching skin creams and all that kind of stuff like that. And to her and to me, I'm like, no, it's because, you know, like people want to know you. And, you know, it's one of those things that's kind of like also healing the inner child inside of me because like being trans, I suppressed both of those identities. I didn't tell kids I was Asian because I was scared of how they would treat me because I saw them how they treat the, you know, the Asian kids in the classes. And luckily for me growing up, I was like, possible in terms of being seen as Asian but like I hated the questions with that too like when kids would like make fun of like my eye shape and be like why do you have Asian eyes and all this kind of stuff like that I would always be like oh no like they're not Asian like I'm not Asian like all of those kind of things it's like why did I do that as a kid that came from somewhere you know that's that's one of those things it's just like it's sad because those kids are only making fun of like features like that because they saw an adult doing that and it's one of those things that's just like, now we're changing that. Now we're knowing that that's not humor and that's not funny. It's sad that our generation had to face that, that kind of transition of people deciding that that's not okay. In your book, which is fantastic, by the way, um, you talk about dating, which is obviously a massive part of the entire LGBTQI plus experience is dating prior to coming out of the closet and then the life that you live afterwards. And so as a perfect kind of segue from what we've just discussed, which is if you are fully confident and happy in the way that you present yourself, you've gone through whatever procedures make you feel whole, because there are absolutely members of our community who know that they are trans and require not a single bit of assistance, you know, from medical practices at all. And that is still true and still valid. You can come out on the other side of that experience, live your life, never have any questions thrown your way. But dating, the game changes a little bit, I imagine. Talk to me about how you explored dating earlier on, uh, or actually I'm just interested in general throughout your transition process. What has it been like um, to date, to speak your truth? I definitely think it's been like a mix of strange and weird situations, but I guess from the get-go, I've just always been honest and upfront with every single person that I've been interested in or I've wanted to go on dates with. And honestly, I felt like it was kind of like a filter for me. Their reaction would tell me so much more about them than they let on because if, you know, if they react in a way that is positive, but yet I don't like the reaction, then like I can also just kind of, you know, discuss that, unpack that a bit. 
but if they react in a negative way, then obviously I just know that they're not the right person as well. And it's like got nothing to do with them. It's just, you know, it's, it's up to their own things to really unpack. There's nothing for me to really try and educate them on. It's not my job. So yeah, I guess it's definitely been a mix of things that I've had to protect myself in terms of the guys I've, I've dated and gotten to know, especially when it comes to how they feel with themselves. And that's what I've noticed a lot is that like, if, if someone isn't truly there for themselves and knows everything about them is comfortable in their own self and masculinity, then they're not ready for someone like me. It's just not some, it's not healthy. It's not something that you have to entertain. And there's going to be someone else who is going to be more secure and ready to just understand you above being trans. And that's something that I had to learn the hard way because I would entertain so many guys. I thought that, oh, like, you know, they will get better, but it doesn't. And, you know, insecurities are so hard to kind of shake and we all have them. But yeah, that was one thing that I did struggle with, especially with the certain phases I went through because I went through so many. And the times when I was trying to be, you know, as cis as possible when it came to dating and to be like, you know, like I'm trans, but like I can also just be like any other girl. It was so damaging to me because I tried to suppress the fact of, all of my experiences aside to comfort these men just so I could feel more feminine. But I soon realized as I got older that like my femininity is mine. I don't need a man to make me feel more feminine and dating should just be, you know, like an experience. It shouldn't feel like work. It shouldn't feel like you're having to, you know, have a full on like interview or an intense DNM with these people that just are trying to figure out themselves by asking you all these really deep questions, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, so much of what you're saying makes sense because it's not even specific to the trans experience. It's actually, I imagine, true across the entire spectrum in our community, which is a huge part of what it means to be LGBTQI plus is to come to terms with your truth usually later in life, and then go through all of the work that straight people went through when they were 10 of, of, of navigating who you are. Now, obviously, everyone navigates who they are, but there isn't the pressure of, what does it mean to be a woman? What are the examples out there in the universe? What is going to increase the likelihood that I can be passing? And then let's say you're not trans, just my experience as a gay man. How gay is too gay? And if I act too gay, what types of guys are going to like me? And if I want different types of guys, do I need to change that? And then you get older and you're like, well, wait a second. There actually isn't one type of woman. There never has been. There are unbelievably mask-presenting women. There are unbelievably fabulous women who do not fit into a stereotype or box. And yet, and the same for men, and yet I was chasing the ideal macho man so I could be successful as a gay man, and you're chasing the perfect ideal cis woman, and then you come, <laughs> then you actually come out to yourself, and you're like, wait a second. And I feel like what you're you're connecting a bunch of dots for me about my past, which is, it is difficult enough to know who you are. 
let alone have to bring someone else on a freaking journey and do work for them so they can be comfortable. I don't know if you ever felt this way, but sometimes you go back in the closet for other people. You're like, oh, you're not comfortable with this? Cool. Let me... <laughs> Let me diminish my glow. Let me hide a little bit. Let me come in the closet and or teach you things instead of being like 100% present outside of that closet. You know who you are. You're AJ. You've done all this great work and people are coming equally prepared. Is that what happened when you met your partner? How how was that experience? Definitely. I feel like when I met Ryan, it was it was just so new and different to me because I was just at that point, expecting to go through the motions and just be like, he's just another guy. Like, he's just going to want to know the basic things. And just, I was exhausted at that point. And Mm. I was still recovering from gender reassignment surgery as well. So at that point, I was kind of like, I had this newfound confidence and I was just ready to live my life and just feel more comfortable in my body. And dating at that time as well felt more real to me because I felt like, I was more myself because up Mm. until that point, I was never intimate with anybody as well, just because I was so afraid of Of my body in those situations. So when it came to Ryan and he was just wanting to get to know me and understand me and didn't, wasn't really phased by the fact that I was trans, just caught me off guard. Like he was just so sure of himself, which was very new to me. And I was just surprised. That's beautiful. I saw a story recently from one of your friends who we've had on the show, Grace Highland. And she did this gorgeous reel saying trans people can't find love or something. And then it cut to all of these people within the community who happen to all be beautiful Australian uh, trans women who have found love. And I don't know if you think about this on a regular basis, but a big part of what you're doing by just being who you are is giving, is rewriting a narrative in many ways. Uh, uh, Because my next question for you was, what is it like to be a trans person in Australia right now? And, And the reason I ask is when I see a video like that, I think maybe things are changing in a really big and powerful way. Maybe the stereotype is no longer gonna be prostitute from terrible movie, someone in jail from Orange is the New Black, right? Because up until the last five years, there was still a lot of negativity in the media industry shaping what it means to be trans. And now, thanks to social media, there's all these beautiful people living beautiful lives who seem really happy and healthy. And and I'm just interested today, if if we're doing a little time capsule, what is it like to be trans in Australia in 2021? I feel like it's getting so much better, but also being honest, like there's still so much work to be done. To me, it feels like, like you said, there's so much happening online and there's, there's brands getting behind it. There's so many, there's so much visibility, but then again, it's still not reaching the mainstream when it comes to Australian people and them being aware of just trans people. I feel like it's very like, it still feels taboo and it still feels like, I know that's, I feel like it's, it's one of those things as well that like when it comes to just like trying to navigate certain things when it comes to just daily life kind of stuff. Like if I have to do something like with Medicare, for example, and there's like some confusion, I have to out myself and say that I'm trans. It's like 
sometimes people just don't get it. And it's, it's a thing that's just kind of like a frustration when it comes to Australia, because it's just, I feel like there's not much acknowledgement when it comes to not just trans stuff or stuff within the LGBTQI plus community, just the not noticing also the racism as well that happens. There's just so much to unpack, but it starts with educating and it starts with putting more visibility out there and not the, you know, the sloppy kind and not the, you know, just, yeah, just just having one person on one interview, like one time two years ago, like that's doing nothing. A big part of what is happening in Australia right now that I'm proud of is a lot of young individuals speaking their truth. A lot of young individuals, a part of your network in Melbourne specifically, um, who have large presences, who are able to share their truth about what it means to be a member of our community. If you're speaking to someone who's young, um, 10, 11, 12, uh, I don't know if you get messages like that. What advice do you do you give to them? Do you want to give to young people who are going, wait a second, I, I know that something's wrong here. I am in the wrong body. What she has, I want what AJ has. What do you say to them? I say that take as much time as you need and to know that we're not racing each other and you don't need to compare yourself to someone else. Like not one person's transition is going to be the same as yours. And transitioning doesn't even have to be an option as well. It's all up to you and understanding that your pace is okay. And if you're questioning it, then act on it because there's no harm in just trying to understand yourself more. And that's power. If you're a young person in this country right now and you talk to your parents and you tell them that you'd like to go through this experience and they don't respond the way your parents did and they say no, what options do young people have? I guess that there's, you know, I guess there's like minus 18 or there's lots of different communities that are online and they're unreachable for young people to just immerse themselves in having other people to share their experiences with, like something that I was way too afraid to do. And I just wish if I could go back, just tell me like, it's okay. Like you can speak about your feelings and your struggles and to know that there is support out there. If you're not getting it in your home, then there will be someone else who will listen and care and support you. Minus 18 is perfect, especially in this country, because if you're young and you're struggling and you're living in a small community and you feel like there's no one else around you who even looks, smells, talks, acts like you in any way, you can find queer communities online. They absolutely exist. And to be honest, I've found even in your comment section of your own, you know, your TikTok or your Instagram, I'm able to find other people to follow Thank you so much for coming and and sharing your story, your truth with us. Um, Hopefully, this is the start of a beautiful, long career for you of advocating and, and speaking your truth. It's beautiful. It's humbling. And I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Okay, we did it. How are you guys? How are you feeling? I know that this episode could have brought up some interesting feelings for some of you. And if it did, there are some resources that I think you should check out. So Minus 18 is the first one. They're Australia's 
LGBTQIA plus charity. They have a bunch of great resources online. They hold wonderful events and they also offer trainings for classroom and workplaces around sexuality, gender, and creating a safe space for LGBTQIA plus people. They're also all over social. Uh, you can follow them at minus one eight youth and you spell out one eight. And their website is minus one eight.org.au. But they are not a helpline. So if you're looking for support in that way, you can call Q Life. They're at 1 800 184 527. They offer a free phone service every day from 3 p.m. to midnight. Um, so if you want to talk to someone about your gender, your sexuality, your identity, relationships, any feelings, that's a perfect place. But if you're feeling really anxious and you're not up to talking on the phone, that's fine. They do have a web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. So their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can follow us on Instagram at Kawa Podcast. That's C-O-W-Y-A Podcast. You can also follow me. Uh, my handle is at Sean Zepps. That's S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. Come Out Wherever You Are is a community. And I want as many people within this community, the LGBTQIA plus people, allies, friends, curious folks, I want everyone to have access to this powerful network of people. And the best way for that to happen is for you to share. So if you like this, you can share a link in your group chat, text message, put it on your Instagram story, a little swipe up link, do whatever you want to help get the message out there. out wherever you are is presented by me and me alone no one helped me in the creation of the show i'm kidding <laughs> my name is sean zepps but there are three wonderful people that we need to shout out um, my producer my number one Lindsay green our executive producer jennifer goggin and our audio producer is darcy thompson listener